I want to read to you Joel Rosenberg's uh, blog that came out on Monday. And uh, it, it, it really tells us uh, where things are going as far as the church concerning uh, end-time prophecy. And I was encouraged by this because uh, Joel Rosenberg, we got some of his books, a well-known author. Uh, he is an end-times teacher. Uh, he is one that um, best-selling author of New York Times. Uh, we got, as I said, many of his books in our own bookstore. And he is one that uh, has... Uh, consulted and, and talked with many governmental officials in the United States and in Israel. Um, just got an incredible ministry. But he put out a blog that says, Fascinating new poll released during Passover Easter week finds the vast majority of American pastors see signs of biblical last days and current events. 70% say that the rebirth of Israel is one of those signs, and 56% believe events signal that Messiah will come soon. And there's some other um, results from a survey that LifeWay Research did. And the question was asked with American pastors, do you consider any of the following types of current events to be the birth pains that Jesus was referring to when he was asked by his disciples when he would return. 83% believe that the rise of false prophets and false teachings are assigns the birth pangs that we see today, 83%. 81% say that the love of many believers growing cold, that is spoken of, of Jesus, is a sign that, that we are in the last days, that the, they uh, relate to the birth pains that Jesus uh, was talking about in the Olivet Discourse that we're going to read about. 79% say, as we see, traditional morals becoming less accepted. 78% believe that wars and national conflicts are uh, part of the signs. And then 76% earthquakes and other natural disasters. So it's good to see those stats that, that pastors are beginning to look at the scriptures and, and looking at what Jesus has to say concerning the last days. And he made a statement, Joel Rosenberg, which I agree with. He said, for too long, too many pastors have shied away from teaching on birth pains and events leading up to the second coming. But the current pandemic demonstrates the need for solid, non-sensational preaching done in a biblical manner. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. So, Father, we pray that as we read this text that you would just encourage us. Lord, all of this, as hard as it is, is leading to something. It is leading to uh, promises that you've made, a glorious future. It is leading to where you're going to take us home. And then you will eventually come back and we will come back with you to establish your kingdom. And these things will come to pass. And so, Father, we want to be wise in the day in which we are living in. We want to be discerning in the days in which we are living in. So I pray that our hearts would be comforted tonight and stirred. And, Lord, that you would just press upon us once again that you have a plan and you are working, and you're going to bring that plan to completion for us individually and for the church corporately. So help us be attentive right now, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 21, we read that as Jesus was talking to his disciples, as they were asking him uh, about uh, verse 7 of Luke chapter 21. They asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. 
And verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And then I'm going to drop down to verse 25 to read through verse 28. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation on those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Three and a half months ago, we did our last prophecy update, which, again, three and a half months ago seems so long ago, like forever ago. But it was only 106 days ago, as on New Year's Eve, we did our traditional and annual New Year's Eve prophecy. We were entering into a new year, 2020, but we were also entering into a new decade. On that date, December 31st, the government in China reported that there was a new virus that had infected dozens of people in Wuhan, China, a city of millions of people. And initially, the, their health officials in China thought that it was a pneumonia-type virus and reported that there was no evidence that the virus was readily spread by humans. On January 11th of this year, the first known death from the virus was reported in Wuhan, and the report of the death came just before one of China's biggest holidays, where hundreds of millions of people traveled across the country. Keep in mind that China has a population of over a billion people. January 20th, the first confirmed cases outside of China were reported. Japan and South Korea and Thailand began to report this virus that was spreading to them. The next day on January 21st, the first confirmed case in the United States was reported in Washington state from a man who had been traveling throughout Asia. In January, after breaking you know, high temperatures and months of severe drought, not only did we see this begin to happen, but massive wildfires began to sweep across Australia to where today over 27 million acres of bush and country and forests and parks across Australia have burned. Now, to put that in perspective, for me, I remember in 1988 when the Yellowstone fires, uh, some of the, the most dramatic fires that happened in the West, uh, took place, and it was on national news. And in those fires that burnt that summer of 88, a million acres burnt. That was a lot of acres. And we know that millions of acres can burn in the United States in a bad wildfire season, but Australia saw 27 million acres that ended up burning up. Dozens of people were killed. Many animals, domestic and Australia's wildlife, were killed. Many homes were destroyed, and the smoke from the fires became a major hazard for many people across Australia, and it even would flow the smoke um, in, by the winds across the ocean to New Zealand, where it caused problems there. Meanwhile, in January, at the same time, there was this heavy locust infestation that had started earlier in 2019 in East Africa. But in January, it was being reported that it's devastating crops and plants with a path of destruction through eight countries in Africa, countries such as Uganda and Sudan and Ethiopia and Somalia. And it, it was reported less than a week ago that a new generation of locusts is set to descend on East Africa again, this time 400 times stronger and concerns of mass starvation and lack of food is a real concern for millions of people because those locusts eat everything. They eat all the crops, they eat all the trees, they eat everything green. In January 30th, 
the World Health Organization declared a global health emergency. On February the 11th, the World Health Organization gave this virus an official name, a name that we will never forget in our lifetimes, COVID-19. And the next day, here in the United States, on February the 12th, the stock market in the U.S. reached over 29,500 points. It was the 150th record uh, of the Dow uh, since President Trump took office. On February 12th, more people were working than ever before. No economy in the world was performing like the United States economy. More people were working than ever before. And, and we know that as things were looking good and prosperous, that all of a sudden COVID-19 began to spread across not only the world, hitting Europe very hard. We know uh, in Italy and in Spain and, and throughout Europe, in Iran, in the Middle East, also in Latin America. By the end of February, a couple weeks later, the United States had its first official COVID-19 death. And then shortly after that, on March 11th, which was the last time that we gathered as a church here, it was a Wednesday night, we began to be concerned about what was taking place, decisions that the governor was going to make, and we uh, were hearing about the seriousness of the situation, and that was the last time we met corporately. It was that week that the stark stock market on the 12th of March had its largest one-day drop in American history. And in that week, that week that we met, was the three largest one-day point drops in the history in the market. And very abruptly, even as we met on the 11th, all of a sudden schools were extending their spring break. We started to hear about how commencement uh, ceremonies were being count canceled. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, as the days went ahead, and the 11th and 12th and 13th, we see more decisions being made. The NBA season was canceled. March Madness, the NCAA tournament was canceled. The beginning of baseball was canceled. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, there was this term that we began to hear about and that was social distancing. It is a term that is now a household term that we're going to continue to, to hear through our leaders. And as we, you know, March 11th, matter of fact, as businesses began to close, March 11th was the last day that I got a haircut. And I remember when I was sitting in the chair that the, the gals got a call from the owner saying, we're going to close down. And at that time, they thought it's going to go till the end of March. We're going to close down for a couple of weeks. School's going to extend in spring break or, um, you know, uh, uh, the break that they were on. Most of them going on spring break, the universities till the end of March. And then all of a sudden we know how that's been extended. But as the month went on, there was the stay at home order, not only in Colorado, but much of the nation is under a stay at home order. And it is till April 26. And we don't know if that's going to be extended after that. We have seen the largest, you know, package of relief in the United States history um, that $2.2 trillion, a stimulus package, never heard of something that large passed, and all of a sudden it is needed because millions of people are out of work. Businesses are closing how things change so quickly in just a matter of a month. And economists are saying that it could be as much as $6 trillion of stimulus that comes to our country that, that is invested in our economy, in local business. Matter of fact, the money that has been set aside for local business, they say it's going to run out tonight. States need money. Cities need money because people are not buying 
And there was a piece on the news yesterday how uh, particularly larger cities like Denver and Boulder are losing millions of dollars and they're having to furlough their workers because there is no one that is out buying. There's no business that is taking place. So now the debate is when are we going to be able to open up our economy? When are we going to be able to open up things and people go back to work? And that is going to be the big debate that we're going to see in the next week or two. Much of the world is on lockdown. South Africa has a military lockdown. I was talking with Corey in, in Peru, and he had emailed me how uh, there are certain days where you can't go out of your house, and, and we see that uh, the different governors that make uh, these restrictions, and uh, the governor of Michigan says you can't even go and see family members, and we know that uh, the governor of New York said that no one can go outside without a face mask now. All these things that are taking place, yet we see that perhaps we're getting a glimmer of it plateauing or flattening out. We don't know. There are no graduations, no proms. Travel has come to a stop. 90% uh, less travel at DIA. DIA sees about 100,000 people a day on a normal travel day and 90% decrease at DIA. Most of the planes are on the tarmacs. They're just sitting there. We know that, that there is a lot of ramifications for everyone in every area. We've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. And very rarely does an event happen that affects the entire world. We know that in the last hundred years there was the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu in 1918 and 19 killed 50 million people. We know that there was World War I and World War II. But there is something being said at this moment that COVID-19 has spread to over 200 countries. And a discussion that is coming up that we have never heard before in, in a worldwide event that has uh, hit the world. And that is, in a world crisis, the talk of a one-world government. We know that Gordon Brown, the prime minister, the former prime minister of Britain, in a couple weeks ago, called for a one-world government that needs to be established. So as we find ourselves in these days in which we are in, what does the Bible have to say about this? You see, I don't want to look at this at a political perspective. I want to know what does the Bible say about the days in which we are living in? And as we read the text before us, we know that Jesus had a lot to say about the signs of the end of the age, uh, what's going to take place. And as we read this text, the chapter um, is what is referred to this teaching here of Jesus, the Olivet Discourse. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13. And it's the second longest teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples next to the Sermon on the Mount. And we know that Jesus here gave this teaching in the final week of his life. We had Holy Week last week that we observed Jesus uh, on Palm Sunday as we uh, went back and read the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The next day, as you read the Gospels, he cleansed the temple, overturned the money changers' tables, and drove out all those who were selling um, uh, the sacrifices, the animals. He rebuked the religious leaders. And at his last full day of public ministry... You read Matthew chapter 23. He gives a series of woes to the religious leaders. And then he withdraws himself from the religious leaders. He's withdrawing himself from the people. His public ministry has come to an end. And he's walking across the temple precincts. And one of his disciples, according to Mark's gospel, would say to Jesus, look at this magnificent temple. Look at these beautiful stones, these ornate, huge stones. And Jesus, and, and keep in mind that the temple at that time, that it was one of the wonders of the world. 
it was overlaid with gold. It was uh, believed to be 23 stories high, the temple. It made of huge stones, very beautiful. And Jesus, when that disciple said, look at these stones, look at this beautiful place, he said, the time's going to come when not one stone will be upon another. It's all going to be cast down. And the disciples, when they heard that, they were shocked. And Jesus would leave the temple precinct. He would cross the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives, which was just east of where the temple was. And four of his disciples, we know that uh, it tells us in Mark's narrative that it was James and John and Andrew and Peter, those two sets of brothers, that came to him privately and asked him these questions. When is, as we read these things be uh, when is the temple going to be torn apart and what are the signs that will be when these things are about to take place we do know that the matthew says they ask him when will this be the destruction of the temple and what are the signs of your coming what are the signs of the end of the age and the reason that they're asking that is because they thought if this magnificent temple is destroyed to where not one stone is left upon another it has to be the end of the world and so Jesus answers them in this chapter, and we're not going to go over it, but in the section that we read, we know that he speaks of verse 8. We'll look at it again. He speaks of deception. In verses 9 and 10, he speaks of war. In, in verse uh, 11, he speaks of earthquake, pestilence, famines, and signs in heavens. And then in verse 12, he speaks of persecution. And then he'll pick up the signs again as we go over it, speaking about the nations in verse 25 and the fear of men in verse 26. We know that he says that this is the beginning of birth pangs as you read Matthew's record of the Olivet Discourse and Mark as well, um, that the end of the age are like birth pangs. Um, the signs of the end is like a woman in labor. Something is about ready to be birthed. Uh, the end of the age. And as we look at the things going on around us, it points to something. These labor pains, these sorrows. And of course, we know that labor pains, when a woman goes into into labor that those pains the labor pains the contractions uh, are going to increase in frequency and intensity until that child is born jesus says that these are the beginning of sorrows these are birth pangs something is about ready to be born there's going to be a new kingdom that's going to be born and Jesus, as he rebuked the religious leaders in his first coming in Luke chapter 12, he said, you guys can discern the face of the sky and the earth, but how is it that you don't discern the coming of the Son of Man? So last New Year's Eve, again, which was only three and a half months ago, the title of the message that I did was the church, discerning the times or ignoring the times. And I believe that there has been a lot of ignoring of end-time prophecy in the church. We have seen pastors that said it's not important, you know, to, to look at end-time prophecy. Even pastors that I have known that have said, don't do prophecy updates. We need to stop doing it. And we know that even in Peter's epistle, Second Peter, he said that in the last days there would be scoffers. And I believe even in the church that we've seen a diminish of the importance of teaching the Word of God. So when I read those stats to you at the beginning of the teaching, it encourages me that I pray that the church is saying we need to get back to what Jesus said about the end times and the signs of the end. Because all of this that we are seeing before us is leading to something. Something. It's leading to the birth of something. It is pointing to something very important. And we want to be wise and discerning in the days in which we are living in. And Paul would talk about the birth pangs when he was writing to the church at, at Thessalonica. And he would say concerning the times and seasons. Two distinct words that have different meanings. You have no need that I write to you. Times is a long period of time, a long indiscriminate period of time. 
And seasons are the things that happen that will mark those periods of time off. So if any of us think, and, and sometimes, and I've heard pastors tell me this and others, well, in time prophecy, what does that have to do with spiritual growth? It's not important for new believers and all of this. And here's what we need to consider. Paul, on his second missionary journey, was in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. It is believed between 21 and 30 days, he's driven out of Thessalonica, and he writes two letters to them. They are part of what are called the early epistles. Galatians, he wrote the book of Galatians right after his first missionary journey, the first book of Paul that we have in the New Testament. And then he writes First and Second Thessalonians on his second missionary journey. And in the first letter that he writes to them, in First Thessalonians, he says, concerning the times and seasons, you have no need for me to write. In other words, he knows that they were well-informed. And in 1 Thessalonians, in all five chapters, it ends with the reference of the return of the Lord. In chapter 4, about the rapture of the church. In chapter 5, about the day of the Lord. And he would say, comfort one another with these words. Listen, we don't do these prophecy updates so that we're scared, but that we may be prepared. We do this so we can be discerning in the days in which we are living in and we can be comforted. We need to be comforted even tonight that we think, is everything falling apart? Is the Lord still on the throne? Is he still, you know, in control? Yes, he is. All of these things that we're seeing, the fires, the locust infestations, the pandemic is spoken of Jesus, that these are birth pangs in the last days. That's going to lead to the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation period, where all those signs, those birth pangs are going to culminate. And then it's going to lead to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in that chapter, he talks about the rapture, the day of the Lord, the Antichrist, the rebuilt temple, the apostasy or the falling away, deception, false signs and wonders. Don't you remember when I was still with you, he writes to them, I told you of these things and all of this to a very young church. And Paul thought it was very important for them to know the things concerning the blessed hope of the church. And in this age that we are living in presently, that we know that is important for us to know as well. So what are these signs? Let's begin to look at them. First of all, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. We know that throughout the church age, there has been those who have come along claiming to be Messiah. There has been a whole series of counterfeits and false teachers that have come on the scene. And I believe that it was no accident. I really believe with all of my heart that the Lord led us as a church that we went through the book of Revelation through most of last year. Uh, and we finished in November of 2019, going through the book of Revelation that, that gives us details of what's going to take place in that period of time called the tribulation period. I want to remind you again, when we read about the day of the Lord, that term that is spoken of in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it is speaking of the tribulation period. And at the end of the tribulation period is the second coming of Jesus Christ, where we're going to come back with him because the return of the Lord, there's two distinct events. There's the rapture of the church that will take place before the day of the Lord. We are not in the day of the Lord. And we need to keep that in context because there are those who will point to certain things and they'll quote from Joel, they'll quote from uh, the Old Testament, they'll, they'll quote uh, from Revelation chapter 6. Uh, some have said that this is the four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse of Revelation chapter 6. Listen, it is not. Because chapter 6 of the book of Revelation starts the day of the Lord or the tribulation period, which begins with the rider on the white horse, which is the Antichrist. And I believe that the Bible teaches us 
that the church, believers, are going to be raptured. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, that the Lord will come for his church in the rapture of the church before the tribulation period. He said, comfort one another with these words. And then at the end of the tribulation period, we will come back with him. You read about that in Revelation chapter 19. And as we went through that, we had a good understanding of what the Bible says is going to take place that's going to lead to the kingdom of God being established. We finished Second Timothy on Sunday mornings right before we stopped meeting together. And that was such an incredible book that we went through because Paul's given his last words to Timothy, whom he loves, and to the church right before he's executed. And he writes and says that Timothy in the last days is going to be perilous times. And there are going to be those who have a form of godliness but denying its power, never coming to the knowledge of the truth, there are going to be those who are counterfeits and corrupt minds. And evil men and imposters are going to get worse. And Timothy, this is what you are to do. You must continue in the scriptures. Because the time's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves, you know, teachers and will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. Second Thessalonians chapter two, the coming lawless one, the Antichrist is according to Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. We have seen that. So many false doctrines have come into the church. It was just last week or the week before that Kenneth Copeland, uh, one of the faith teachers that's been around for so long, that he, he blew into the, the camera and he blew and he said, gone. And COVID-19 is destroyed. And he declared that it was gone because he blew into the wind of God to destroy it. Well, it's not gone. And yet you have those who are making these claims. And one of the popular doctrines that we have seen that is popular in some circles of the church is the new apostolic reformation. And that is that there's going to be raised up super apostles and prophets and, and leaders. And they are going to be exercising great power and, and given great revelations and eventually, it's, it's the kingdom now theology that's been around for a long time, the manifested sons of God that started in Kansas City at IHOP and all of this. But the church is going to grow in power, and, and these super apostles and, and prophets are going to be on the scene, and the church is going to grow, and great power is going to be demonstrated, and eventually great healings are going to take place to where the church will eventually take over the world, then we'll usher in the second coming. The Bible says nothing. Nothing of that. And my question is, where are you guys? Why aren't you going into the hospitals and bringing healing as you propagate this doctrine? Matter of fact, one of the churches that is a big proponent of it in Redding, California, Bethel Church, that they had a sign outside when the COVID began to spread because of COVID-19 prayer rooms closed. Doesn't sound like they had a whole lot of assurance that, you know, miracles and all of this were going to be happening. Listen, be careful who you're listening to. The Bible says that these birth pangs are going to happen. They are going to come to pass. And we know that it's not going to be the church that's going to grow and grow. Matter of fact, Jesus said, will I find faith when the Son of Man comes back? That man would have destroyed himself if the Lord had not cut those days short. I believe God is still working. He works miracles. We are to be praying. Yes, of course. And God is the one that can heal our land. And we're praying for that. We're praying for miracles. I believe in miracles. But this whole doctrine has been propagated, has been so popular. And we know what the Bible says, that in the last days it will be perilous. It'll be difficult. They'll be turning away from sound doctrine. In verses 9 and 10, as we get back to Luke chapter 21, he said there will be wars and rumors of war, kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation. 
We know that there's still upheaval in the Middle East. Almost in January, we went to war with Iran, but we didn't. And we know that the stage is set for that, that major war in the Middle East, Ezekiel 38, that the players are there entrenched in, in Syria, Russia, and Turkey, and Iran, the major players, the coalition of nations are all set for this massive invasion into Israel that will take place, as Ezekiel 38 says, in the latter days, that they will come to the mountains in the north and they'll invade Israel to take the spoils. And we see stage-setting events for Ezekiel 38 that can take place. And what I find interesting is this, that if the United States economy collapses, it's going to have ripples effects across the whole world. And we know that right now that Russia is, is hurting. Um, we have heard about the, the oil wars with Saudi Arabia, and apparently they've come up with an agreement. But Russia is hurting economically. Iran's economy is about ready to, to collapse. And part of that is not only because they've been hit hard with COVID-19, but also because of the sanctions against them. And Turkey has been hit hard. And what is one of the motivations for an invasion of a country, and that is when you're economically hurting, to go in and take the spoils from Israel. And that's the motive that we're told in Ezekiel chapter 38. But there's something else that I was drawn attention to when I was looking at this yesterday. In Ezekiel 38, and we don't have time to go over it, but you can look at our teachings that we've done on Ezekiel 38, and, um, and uh, very important for us to understand this confederation of nations, Russia, Iran, Turkey, uh, um, it looks like uh, Sudan, uh, Libya, uh, some of the others are going to have this massive invasion into Israel. Um, and it says that after many days you'll be visited Israel. In the latter years you will be, they will come into the land um, the land that you've been brought back into uh, from many people on the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. Israel has come back into the land. So this is a prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. And we do know that they are there as Thus says the Lord, on that day shall come to pass that the thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan, this confederation of nations. And you will say, I will go up against a land of all unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, as Saudi Arabia, the merchants of Tarshish and their young lines, that may be a reference to the United States, will say, have you come to take a plunder? Have you gathered your army to take a booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, uh, to take great plunder? The, the economy in Israel has been booming over the last several years, and this confederation of nations is coming to take the plunder away, and the these confederation of nations, Saudi Arabia, uh, perhaps some of the Western nations, it could be a reference to the United States, are going to protest. They're not going to get involved, but they're going to protest. And I wonder, right now with our relationships with Israel, why wouldn't we get involved? Could it be because we don't want to? That the administration that is going to be in power um, in the future, are they going to say we don't want to get involved or is it that we can't get involved? Big difference. Could it be that we are going through so much turmoil that we can't get involved to help Israel? And here's the interesting thing is we are in this pandemic that God is going to destroy those invading armies and in verse 22 of Ezekiel 38, I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I've never really focused on that till this pandemic. He's going to use pestilence as well as fire, hailstones and fire and brimstone to destroy those armies. Listen, 
This is not the last pandemic. There will be wars. There will be famines, he says. There will be pestilence. The book of Revelation referenced 12 times pestilence that will be on the scene, and many will die. He will use it against this army in Ezekiel 38. There will be great earthquakes in various places. We saw in January a large earthquake in the Atlantic that shook Miami. There's been an earthquake in, near Salt Lake City in the last month or so that the angel Moroni in the temple, the Mormon temple, lost its trumpet. It, it, it fell out of its hands. There was another one just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a large earthquake in the middle of Idaho. There was another one just a few days ago uh, in Nevada. We're starting to see this, this earthquake activity beginning to become more prevalent. We know that um, as the world population grows, uh, these pandemics become more severe. In 1850, there was 1 billion people on the planet. Now there's 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet. And it becomes more of a problem with plagues, pandemics, um, when people are able to travel all over the world. To be able to get on a plane and go to the other side of the world in, in a day, in less than a day. Verse 11 continues. And this is what intrigues me. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. So what is that all about? What are the fearful sights and great signs from heaven? There are those who read this and, and they'll make the application of, well, the four blood moons. The four blood moons were not fearful signs from heaven. Matter of fact, people are out there with their cameras when it happened in 2014, 2015, I believe. There's four blood moons that happen, you know, four times the moon that turned red uh, during that time. And the, the books were written that, you know, judgment's going to come or whatever's going to happen, great signs. People are out taking pictures of it. Or it was last year, the year before, I believe, that Revelation chapter 12 is going to take place because a uh, uh, conjunction of planets that come together. Uh, those are not fearful sights and great signs from heaven. So what is this all about? Some have suggested it could be weather patterns that are part of that. This last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, many were killed in Mississippi and Louisiana from tornadoes. We do know that there's going to be a cosmic, large cosmic disturbance. Revelation chapter 6, that when the heavens are going to be shaken and men will be so fearful that they'll hide themselves in the rocks. We know that in the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, as these signs culminate there, that the sun is going to be darkened and, and the moon's going to turn to blood. You see, the Bible doesn't talk about blood moons, but it does talk about the moon turning to blood. And that is in the day of the Lord. So could it be that the cosmic disturbance, weather patterns that happen, tornadoes, um, hurricanes, things like that, uh, we don't know for sure. It's going to be something like that. But here's another thought, and it's just a thought. I don't want to make theology out of this, but it, it's a thought. What we have been hearing, and we may hear more of, you remember January, what happened here in Colorado? Remember what was on the news for a couple weeks leading the headlines? That people were seeing lights in northeast Colorado and they assumed they were large drones, but nobody knew what it was and people were afraid. People were frightened by them. And as Colorado, the FBI got involved, the local sheriff's offices and the counties here, law enforcement, um, you know, different companies, uh, even those who make drones and all that, they got together, they tried to figure it out. Well, the Colorado Department of Public Safety, because all of a sudden you didn't hear about it anymore when we headed into February. And the Colorado Department of Public Safety issued a news release and they said, quote, that most of the confirmed sightings by people were determined to be planets, stars, commercial aircraft, or small drones. No evidence of large drones. Now, I think 
the, the people of Northeast Colorado, they know what a planet is. They know what a star is. They know what a commercial aircraft is. Was it drones, larger drones? There's all kinds of speculations, or was it something else? We don't know. Now listen, as you look, that there's more reports of people seeing lights and strange lights in the sky that have frightened them. Matter of fact, uh, I had a family member that got a text from somebody up in Montana that they were seeing these lights and sent pictures of them, and it was quite interesting to see them, and they were afraid. Now, I'm not one that believes in aliens or UFOs. The Bible doesn't say that there's aliens. It gives no indications of that. But could it be, could it be, that we are going to see more of these lights that cause fear in the people. They were afraid, and you can, you can look it up, and people all across the country in different places, and, and there's explanations for some of them. There was a SpaceX you know, rocket that took off and released 60 satellites at once, and there were, you know, was the vision in the sky scene, and that was explained. Is it... Drones, you know, some have said the government making drones so they can watch people. I don't know as you read about these things and people are afraid, but I got another perhaps thought, and it could be that it's demonic activity. That Satan, as Second Corinthians tells us, is an angel of light. And could it be that we're going to see more of this? I don't know for sure, but that's a thought. What are these fearful sights and great signs from heaven? I guess we're going to find out as we continue in the days ahead. But it may be something that we're going to hear more about or see or perhaps something that comes up. It, it just kind of intrigues me as I read that. And then in verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay your hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. This speaks of right after, you know, Jesus' resurrection, the early church. Of course, you read the book of Acts, the Christians, the apostles were persecuted. Persecution has happened throughout the church age. It is happening even today. Just a few weeks ago on World News Briefing, uh, they were talking about uh, a reference that they um, got a source in Iran that was saying that 25 families were taken out by the Iranian officials and they were killed. Christians. We know that in the tribulation period, that tribulation saints and Jews will be heavily persecuted. We're seeing anti-Semitism on the rise in Europe and in the United States. And we know that very well it could be on the rise in our own country, persecution against Christians. I don't know. I pray that it doesn't happen. My prayer is that there is revival and a great awakening. But it was interesting. Catherine Stewart wrote uh, an um, opinion editorial in the New York Times just a couple of weeks ago at the end of March. And it was interesting. She blames evangelical Christians for paving the road to coronavirus hell, she says. In her articles, she draws a parallel between the 19th century advocates of slavery and religious Christians whose denial of science and critical thinking, she says, now haunts the American response to the COVID-19 pandemic. She makes reference to a few pastors that opened up their churches when over 99% of churches have been closed and have chosen to go and do social media, Facebook, um, the ones that have been open to any part, uh, maybe perhaps doing um, drive-in where people stay in their cars and they can hear the, the service, but they don't get out of their cars. Um, but churches have been closed down. The building, we're still open. We're still ministry. She said that Christians are responsible for limiting government. Interesting. None of this is said about liquor stores being opened or marijuana stores being opened, dispensaries. But we are hearing about, particularly over Easter weekend, about churches and should they be meeting and, and all of this. My point is this. We're to be subject to the governing authorities. I don't disagree that we shouldn't have been meeting. 
And when we had our last gathering, I said, we will be proactive. I want to protect you here at Calvary Chapel from the spread of this virus. And I want to be sensitive to the people in this community. I want to continue to do that. But I just wonder, I just wonder if this is going to lead to the governing authorities in beginning to take our religious freedoms away in the future. I don't know. We're going to find out. And I pray that it doesn't. I pray for revival in our land. And I'm thankful for a president that is standing firm for our religious freedoms. But that may not always last. Jesus then talks about in verses 16 and 17 that we would be persecuted even by own family members. He then talks about the destruction of Jerusalem in verses 20 through 24 that took place in 70 AD. But then he goes back to the signs in verses 25 through 28. And he says that, that in verse 25, as we look at it again, and there'll be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth, the stress of nations with perplexity. One of the reasons that I chose Luke's narrative, because here in Luke, he uniquely says that there's going to be the distress of nations with perplexity. He says that the perplexity it speaks of that nations are going to be facing problems they don't know how to solve. They're going to be at their wits end. They're going to not know what to do. They're going to be at loss of, of what has taken place and the answers to that. And so they are going to be, you know, looking for that, that man that's going to come on the scene. It literally means to, to be in a tight spot. Nowhere to go is what it means. It, it means that they're at their its wits end, no way out. And we're seeing more of that especially with this pandemic, the economic upheaval that it has caused. And as I've already said, if the U.S. economy fails, then it's going to have immediate ripple effects on the entire world. And the world more than ever is ready for a miracle man. There is more being talked about two things that are driving a one world government that will be in place. We know that from the book of Revelation. Because the Antichrist is going to bring the world together. He's going to be an economic leader. He's going to be a political leader. He's going to be a military leader. He's going to be a religious leader. Eventually, you know, proclaiming himself as God. And anybody who does not make their allegiance with him will not be able to buy or sell. And we know that there's two things that are driving a one world philosophy in government. And that is climate change. And now this pandemic. And we have seen in our own nation a move, particularly with our younger people, towards socialism. That we need it. And there's more technology that is coming out. As this Antichrist is going to keep track of everyone in the world. There's going to be facial recognition. The technology is increasing. GPS locators, invisible tattoos, all of this that we're beginning to hear about and see coming out. We will see, I believe, a, a move towards a one-world economic political system and, and more control from our government in our lives very much could be what we see in the days ahead. I, I pray that we can keep our freedoms. But in verse 26, and I know that we're getting late, but this is important as well. It says that men's hearts are failing from fear. It's the only time that this phrase is used. It literally means to be scared till you stop breathing. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Again, he, he mentions that. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Is it speaking of powers and principalities? That is being spoken of here? But men's hearts failing them from fear? That's quite a, a, an incredible statement. It's the only time it's made in the whole New Testament. So people are going to be fearful. So what does it mean for us? As we talk about these things, you think, oh, no. What are the days ahead going to be? You speak of perilous times. You speak of these signs and, and labor pains that are going to increase. What does it mean for us today? Listen, don't tune out. This is what's the most important part of this. 
First of all, number one, there's four points that I want to make, and then we'll wrap it up. Don't be surprised when you see these signs and events around the world because it's what the Bible has spoken about. And Jesus said in this chapter in verse 33 that, my, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. These things are going to come to pass. They will come to pass. And we shouldn't be surprised as Christians when we're seeing these events going on around us, but we should be wise and discerning. And second of all, we can then comfort and bring truth to others because people's hearts are failing. We as Christians, that we need to understand this, that people don't have the hope that we have. And we are able to be a voice and give truth to others. And I pray that the church does wake up during this pause. I do pray for a great awakening. And, and I pray that pastors would get back, as Joel Rosenberg said, the teaching about the return of the Lord. And we are to be praying on our knees during this time, which leads to thirdly, for you and I as Christians, we can look up and rejoice. He says, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice. For your redemption draws near. I believe the Lord can come for his church at any time. We don't know the day or the hour. But listen, please remember this. The Lord is still on the throne. He's still working. And he has a glorious plan that is going to unfold for us. And it includes us. Us. And that's why Paul would say, comfort one another with these words. He was writing to a church, the church at Thessalonica, that was afflicted heavily. And we have the blessed hope before us. And we can look up and rejoice because, Lord, that we are here for such a time as this. There are things taking place right now that Daniel wrote about, that the apostles here wrote about that the New Testament writers wrote about, the Old Testament prophets wrote about, and we are seeing these things unfolding before us. Israel becoming a nation once again. That we see the birth pangs that are telling us something that are becoming more frequent and severe. And it tells us that Jesus Christ is coming back and don't live for this world because this world is not your hope. Jesus is your hope. The tomb is empty. Remember on Sunday? And we come to that empty tomb and we realize that Jesus is alive and we believe in a risen Savior and he promised that he would come back. And his promises for us are true and he will be faithful to keep those promises. And he loves you and he sees you and he remembers you. And I know that a lot of you, perhaps you're feeling anxious, the uncertainty of the days ahead. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but you do know who holds tomorrow. And he holds you in his hands, and he loves you. And if you're not right with God, if you're listening to this, get right with God. Because Jesus Christ is coming back, and he conquered sin and death by going to the cross and dying on that cross and rising from the grave. And if you're here and you're listening, anyone, get right with God. Go to him tonight. We're going to give you opportunity in just a minute. But church, listen, one more point, and then we're going to go to prayer. What does it mean for us as a church? I don't know what the church is going to look like when we're able to come back together, when all this is said and done. I don't know. I don't know what's ahead for the church. But I know that, that COVID-19 is not going to defeat the church. Heaven and earth are not going to defeat the church. The gates of hell are not going to defeat the church. The church is Jesus' bride, and it is here. And this is an opportunity for the church to give light in the darkness and comfort to the hurting, and truth to the confused. So as the Church Calvary Chapel, listen, we need to keep close to the Lord and to encourage each other. And what are we going to do in the days ahead to prepare for famine? I don't know how bad it'll get. I pray it gets better. 
I pray that the economy starts up and, and we're stronger than ever. That's my prayer. But what are we doing to prepare for the days ahead? And the way to prepare is to continue in the scriptures, as Paul told Timothy, that, Timothy, you must, not that it's a good idea or it might help, you must continue in these days where it's going to get worse and perilous and evil men and imposters are growing worse and worse. The instruction to Timothy, you must continue in the scriptures. And then we are going to see as we will continue in Matthew's gospel starting this Sunday, when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends by saying, you be the wise one who hears these sayings of mine and does them as likened to the one who builds upon the solid foundation. So when the winds come and the storms come and the rain beats against the house that that house is able to stand and we all have storms and we are in this storm right now together and it brings different storms along in your life maybe concerning work or just being isolated uh, many of us you know our whole lives you know travel plans uh, graduations weddings everything has changed we don't know how long it's going to last there are some that are saying in the summer, or at the end of the year, or into next year, we don't know. But if we trust in the Lord. And what are we going to do? What we are to do is to build upon the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. He loves you. His promises are true for you. Oh, he wants to work in our lives, and he wants to work in this church. And we want to keep looking to him and to look up and rejoice because the redemption draws near. At the end of 1 Samuel, David, he brings his mighty men back to Ziklag where they were. And all of a sudden, their families are gone. Homes are burnt. They were in great distress, it says. And if you're in distress tonight, you're thinking, my business is gone, my work is gone, I don't know how to pay the bills, I know that the stimulus checks are coming in, but how long is that going to last? Listen, David in that time of distress, it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. And I hope that you strengthen yourself in the Lord to look to him. Because he loves you, and he wants to work in your life, and his promises are true for you. Call out to him. Allow him to speak to you. Keep building upon that solid foundation. Jesus Christ, live for him. And we're going to be here to pray for you and encourage you and help in any way that we can. And for us to be a light in the darkness that's around us. And let's be wise. And the ones that are going to be used in these days are ones that are grounded in the word of God and grounded in him. To take heart we don't have to have our hearts full of fear and failing, but to comfort one another with these words because Jesus Christ is coming back. We have a glorious future and a plan that's going to unfold before us. It is really quite exciting when you think about it. And I pray that that blesses your heart and comforts your heart. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this this teaching, this, this prophecy update, and, and Lord, so much that is here to take in, but we want to be wise in the days in which we're living in. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not your words. That we know that you are going to bring these things to pass, and you're going to take your bride home. And in the meantime, Jesus said that we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And we don't have to have our hearts failing. We don't have to be full of fear, but be comforted and strengthened by you, Lord. And I pray that for everyone who's listening tonight. And I want to pray for anyone right now that maybe perhaps you'd never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Listen, he is coming back. We're in the last days. And what the Bible says is true concerning his return, but the Bible is also true concerning salvation. And the invitation is given to you to come to Jesus right now. He always said come and recognize your need to be forgiven, forgiven because even as last week, 
we looked at the cross of Jesus. He went to the cross and died for your sins. And then Resurrection Sunday, he rose from the grave. He validated what he did on the cross. He conquered sin and death. He is your hope. He is the way, the truth, the life. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one else and nothing else can save you. You cannot save yourself. It is faith in Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he says, come as you are. Surrender your life to me and call out to me. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, recognizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, the Savior, to be forgiven. He died on that cross as he cried out, it is finished. So he made atonement that he made provision for you for forgiveness of sin. Will you come to him right now, right where you are, in your home, where you're sitting? You can pray. He hears your heart. That Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again and you're speaking to my heart. I believe you're going to come back. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I want to be right with you. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me. I believe you're alive speaking to my heart and I want to know you and walk with you, not be full of fear and uncertainty, but Lord, I thank you that you've brought me into the family of God and given me a certainty of heaven and the hope that I need. And I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And listen, if you made that decision, get a hold of us, call us, leave a message, email me something. We want to follow up with you. But for all of us, that are perhaps anxious tonight and our hearts are failing and wondering that Jesus loves you. He's not going to leave you as orphans. But we have the spirit of adoption where we cry out, Abba, Father. He knows your needs. He loves you. His promises are true for you. And he is your stability. He's your provider. He's your protector. Lord, I just pray you provide for everyone tonight. Those who are looking for work, that you would bring them work. Those who, Lord, don't know what is going to happen with business or anything else. Lord, that you would provide, that you would guide. Lord, that you would just strengthen us. And, and Lord, to guide us in every way and provide. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us because you're our helper. And that you would strengthen our hearts, Lord, and for the church that we would be a light in this community, reaching out and doing what we can do. We pray for, for those around us, we can minister to them and comfort them with your words, with your promises and the gospel message. Lord, strengthen us. We need you. Strengthen us as a church. Lord, purge us. Draw us close to yourself. Lord, I pray you bless everyone here tonight. And as we go to sleep, that we would thank you for the glorious, blessed hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I thank you that we can know and have discernment. That, Lord, that you have a glorious plan for us that is unfolding right before us. So, Lord, may we keep our eyes on you be strengthened by you and blessed in every way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday. And looking forward to continuing Matthew. God bless you. If you need prayer or anything, please call us, email us. We'd love to do that. Continue to minister. God bless you and take care.